everyone, we are live from the mean streets of South Croydon. This is the Lament Configuration. Uh, I'm Greg Knox, I'm joined by Reoffend, and we've got more zombies on the show today. They're going to eat your brains like a tumour. Yes, uh, dearly beloved, we gather here today to talk about the deceased. So yes, our show is zombie themed once again, and I am back as resident body count girl. Hello, Greg. Hi. Hi. So now we've covered 69 video nasties over the last year and a half, and believe it or not, we only have three left. Three left. That's an interesting number. Yeah, exactly. Sixty nine is a very interesting number as well. But exactly. hey, won't go there. Um, so what I've done deliberately is I've chosen three of my favourite movies to kind of go last, and they're all directed by the same person, which is Mr. Lucio Fulci, the Godfather of Gore himself. Now, Rhea, I think I ask you this a lot. I think I've asked you this every show for like the last ten. But had you seen any films by Lucio Fulci before we uh, did this show? I hadn't, and this is my first watch of all three. And I have to say that the first one that we're going to talk about, which is technically our headlining film for this episode, which is Zombie Flesh Eaters, also known as Zombie 2. Um, I've had this on my to-watch list for quite some time and heard that it was a classic. It's a staple watch, and it doesn't... I mean, it does age, but it always stays relevant. And as a horror fan, you should see this. So I was very much looking forward to watching this and enjoy it. I did. Cool. So this is you know, our discussion of the 72 video nasties. Um, so these are, in fact, all our previous shows related to the video nasties are to do the films D by the DPP to be unfit for human consumption, as I said. And on our show, generally expect bad language, themes of a graphic nature, particularly when we're talking about Lucio Fulci, and also beware of spoilers. Yeah, spoilers galore. And we're uncensored on the Lament Configuration podcast. Welcome to the show. Fuck yeah. (laughs) So, um, I need to start the show by talking about Lucio Fulci generally, of course. So, as I mentioned, he's known as the Godfather of Gore, which was also the name given to Herschel Gordon-Lewis. But his films, in comparison to Lewis's, are much, much, much gorier. Now, he wasn't always known as a director of really, really gory horror films. Now, some of my favourite Fulci films are actually Jally. You'll be shocked to hear, being an Italian director, that he is. (laughs) Um, so some of my favourite Fulci films are his Jallo, so uh, Don't Torture a Duckling, Lizard in a Woman's Skin, The Psychic, New York Ripper as well, which is a very controversial film. Ooh, I definitely need to see that one. That's on my list. Yes. However, as I said, it's only when he got to like the late 70s that he started making these really, really gory films. So the three films we're going to cover on the show today were all made between 1979 and 1982, which is where he directed eight films in four years. So he was amazingly prolific during this period. That's a lot of films. That's two per year on average. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. So yeah, very, very prolific during this period. And this is kind of the period where most people kind of look back and go, no, most of the films that people will have seen from Fortune would have come out in this period. Hmm. So as Ria has already mentioned, the first film we're going to talk about on the show today is one of the most famous video nasties, which is Zombie Flesh Eaters also known as Zombie, Zombie 2, because as everyone knows, this was a rip-off of Dawn of the Dead, 
which in Italy is called just Zombie, mm-hmm. uh, Island of the Living Dead, which I think is a pretty cool name, and Island of the Flesh Eaters. Nice. Okay, so it's a 1979 film, so we're just coming into that amazing era of 80s horror, which we all love. Um, and obviously zombies are becoming like the big thing. And right back in 79, we're, we're still really traditional with the zombie films and there's some real classics such as this one. So the synopsis is strangers searching for a young woman's missing father arrive at a tropical island where a doctor desperately searches for the cause and cure of a recent epidemic of the undead. Okay, so one thing to kind of bear in mind, kind of of the three films that we're going to talk about, is that Fulci used a lot of the same kind of behind-the-scenes people on his crew, because he did tend to do that quite a lot. So um, one of the writers for this film is Dardano Sacchetti, who wrote all three films, or he was co-writer of all three films we're going to talk about on the show today. Uh, His cinematographer is always Sergio Salvati, his editor is always Vincenzo Tomasi, um, he uses a lot of the same makeup and special effects people. So one of the people who did the amazing zombie makeup on this film is Ginetto De Rossi, who also did the zombie makeup on Living Dead at Manchester Morgue that I talked about on the last show. Mm, you can really tell as well, can't you? That it's very similar. Yeah. So you've already said your thoughts on the film, but um, you really liked it, which I did think you would in fairness, because it's right up your street. Yeah, I mean, it's gory, um, it's traditional, like we've had so many modern zombie films, but none of them can really top this kind of thing, such as this film and um, Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. Um, They're just like staple watches. Um, The effects still stand up, even though they're not like terribly advanced. They're fantastic practical effects. Um, the suspense is great. The zombies are brilliant. Again, in this film, same as Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, you've got fantastic zombie actors. You've got like, um, an old lady in this that's really fantastic that does some real close up shots and she's got like one eye kind of facing off to the side. I don't know how she actually did that, but it's pretty fucking awesome. Um, you've got a lot of nudity in this, as per usual with your typical horror films of the 80s. It basically ticks all of the boxes. And you've got some um, excellent close-ups of like decayed flesh, hands coming up through the ground, all that kind of stuff that's like really great in this sort of film. Um, stuff that you don't really get created in the same way anymore. Um, it's just just not as good as it was back then. No. So what I would say is that the zombies in this film are my favourite zombies of any zombie films. This includes Romero's, because even in Romero's, they don't look like how they do in this. In this film, they look really, really decayed. Like They look as if they have legitimately been in the ground rotting for hundreds of years. Yeah, and I think like sometimes there are these little worms just like hanging on to the bodies and things like that. Like the attention to detail with that is fantastic. I did notice a couple of slip ups where um they perhaps had the decaying head on the actor and you can see bare shoulders. Um but then the rest of the costume is brought into shot later. So maybe a couple of minor slip ups, but with practical effects you've always got that and obviously with the era it was made 
Um, but it's fine. I mean, you, you let it off because the rest of the film is just so great. And we have got that iconic and very creative scene where there's a, actually a zombie underwater, which he must have required a pretty awesome stuntman for. And he eats a shark and it's a real shark. And it's, yeah, it's awesome. It's so unexpected and probably never recreated in that sense in any other movie. Yeah, so that is the most famous scene in the movie, I think. So, yeah, it is literally as Rhea said. So if you've not seen the film, then, yeah, so there's a scene where you've got our four main characters on a boat. One of them decides to go scuba diving topless. Of course, it's just a damn good excuse to get a woman in a thong with no bra on, basically. But, I mean, then it does actually turn into a valuable part of the film. So, again, we'll let it off, you know. Yeah, so she's uh, topless scuba diving, as you do. We've got some nice shots underwater of, like, the various, you know, aquamarine life under there. And then, yeah, there's just a fucking shark that just appears. Now, apparently in real life, it's a tiger shark. It was a very heavily sedated tiger shark. Yeah, because they go on about how it looks like it's going to attack her, and it really doesn't. It doesn't look (laughs) menacing, but... Having a real shark in the film is enough without it looking like it's going to savage somebody. Yeah, so... Heavily sedated, you say. (laughs) Well, yeah, heavily sedated indeed. And what they had to do was to get a zombie to appear underwater, it had to be sort of the shark trainer, I guess, or someone... You probably know what I mean. So, yeah, you've got Mm. someone sort of in... Specialist. Zombie makeup, sort of fighting in inverted commas with this shark including what's supposed to be ripping a bit of the shark off and eating it so yeah you would need someone who uh, knows what they're doing with sharks let's put it that way yeah i mean he's probably really giving it a hug you know if he's got quite a close relationship with this shark (laughs) it's all right mate it's fine (laughs) they managed to make it look like he's uh, biting a chunk out of it but still you'd never be able to do that nowadays elf and safety gone mad yeah it's um it's no mean feat actually it's it's very well done even though you can tell it's not really happening uh, another key part of this film is the splintered wood into the eyeball, which makes me both recoil in horror, cringe, but is also damned amazing to watch. And especially the look of terror on her face and the amount of suspense built up. It's very drawn out. You see the spike actually piercing the eyeball like, um, like a grape, you know, it's like, <laughs> Just like a soft piece of fruit. Um, but it's very believable. You can't really see that it's a fake eyeball, you know, and that kind of thing. So again, practical effects on point. <laughs> yeah, so I've got an interesting sort of story about this. So for the show, obviously, I watch every film that we see, even if I've seen them like a million times. It's just a refresher. So I've seen Zombie Flesh Eaters, I'd say about four or five times. The first time I ever saw it was on Channel 4 back in the day, pre this film ever getting re-released or anything like that. So it was on Channel 4. It was had an intro by Mark Commode, mm-hmm. and the film was cut. Now, interestingly, one of the things they chose to cut was this eyeball scene. So what you see is kind of uh, the the character being slowly dragged towards this splinter and you know exactly what's going to happen and where it's go. And then before the actual kind of insertion of splinter into eye, it cuts away. So I saw it in that version. So I don't know, it's weird because in a way that actually kind of worked quite well. It's a rare example of a cut actually potentially helping a film in some ways because you have to imagine, oh my God, imagine what happened. And then obviously you see her dead body later on anyway, so you know what happened. So Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. It's um, really tense to watch. And personally, I, I think it really stands up um, against modern films, even now. Um, I thought it was awesome. Anyway, I loved that part of the film. Yeah, and like one of the things I like about it is that Fulci, it's like his signature shot where you've got someone being dragged to, to something or something being pulled towards them and it keeps cutting between one and the other and every time it does so, it's a little bit closer each time. So there's a scene in another one of his films, which I love, by the way, it's his City of the Living Dead. <laughs> it involves Giovanni Lombardo Radic and a drill <laughs> and basically, it's uh, yeah, it's the same shot pretty much, and it, it works really well every single time. That's like his signature shot, I would say. Oh, awesome! Yeah, I mean, I need to see that film as well now. You do, um, yeah, because it's fucking I bet it's awesome. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Also, um, another point to know is that the star of this film is uh, probably about two thirds of the way in. There's an amazing fucking crab that just saunters <laughs> past. And it's like that crab from the meme, like the Thug Life meme, where it's carrying a knife. You expect it to be carrying a knife or something, and it just kind of saunters across, like, from right to left. And it's fucking massive, this crab, with, like, big claws. And, like, it's not really part of the film, but it needs its own credit, because it's amazing. I'm 34, I have no idea what meme you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) But, but yeah, for all the kids out there, fair enough, so cool I am. The thug life crap, you know, with the knife, anyway. <laughs> anyway, uh, my favourite zombie is the really fat zombie at the start of the film. Oh my god, yeah, what have they been feeding that zombie? <laughs> he's, uh... he's stealing all the other zombies' sort of food, clearly. Yeah, how did he, I mean, he's dead, but he's still maintained all that weight. Um, yeah. Uh... <laughs> I think he might not have been a zombie for that long. Yeah, in possibly. fairness, he was probably that fat already. It's really weird that they've put, they've like been specific with that body type for a zombie because usually it's just generic zombies all look similar, don't they? Yeah, yeah. What I liked about him as well, um, one of the things I love about Fulci's films generally is that they actually do appear just to be in a world where everything is just decayed and dying, <laughs> and everything's just going horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. And yeah, so on the boat where that character's found, you've got all these insects everywhere just from the decaying flesh. Yeah. And I like as well when people get stabbed. Like So in most films, when people get stabbed, there's just blood. Yeah. Whereas in Fulci's films, there's fuckloads of blood but then there'll also be like just viscera just flesh coming out and pus and all this kind of stuff just coming out of like wounds and stuff it's just awesome yeah i think like some of it at some point did look kind of like spaghetti and chocolate i don't know (laughs) that would be maggots yeah yeah well okay well um, my favorite zombie was the old cross-eyed woman with the long stringy gray hair yeah she was my absolute favorite you like old woman zombies life goals like yeah when i'm 60 that's what i'm going to be doing with my life basically same thing (laughs) as what i'm doing now anyway (laughs) i think she was sort of a bit goofy because she was cross-eyed, in fairness. <laughs> yeah, but she must have been acting that. It can't be natural. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I really liked that. Um, other things about the film is this Peter West, is that he kind of persuades Anne to, like, have a, a smooch and a kiss on the boat to, like, 
and detract uh, to cause a distraction for the policeman, which I think is really wrong. He's like taking advantage <laughs> of her. So there was uh, that. It's like his little ploy to like get her into bed or something. Wrong, wrong, wrong. What are you doing? Yeah. So this is Ian McCulloch, who is also in Contamination, although this is obviously a much more famous film. Yeah. Um, and the body count is quite high for this. I've got roughly about 24, but it's very hard to pinpoint the number because in the middle of the film, there's roughly about 10. Uh, shit goes down, let's just say that. Yeah, so as in all these zombie films, from what I've noticed, is there's always a scene that lasts about 10 or 15 minutes right at the end where there's loads of zombies, there's a big zombie attack and loads of zombies get shot in the head or they get mm. set on fire or... You know, yeah, all that. So it can be hard to track kind of what's going on. Yeah, and again in this film we've got your traditional type of zombie that does need to be shot in the head to be disposed of. And also this rather clever... So they've got like their hospital beds where they've got like kind of experiments and um, just trying to find the cure for what's going on. And they've um, that's quite creepy in itself, like in sort of deserted um, island area. It's like a marquee, like a tent hospital with numerous beds and dead bodies. And then you've got this quite effective, like the bodies wrapped in white sheets with ropes around and then him shooting them. When they come back to life, you start to see movement and the doctor shoots them in the head, which means the blood comes through. But it's very effective because all you can see is the shape of the body and nothing more, but you just see the blood come through on the white sheets, which I thought was really cool. And another part of the film at one point where they've got like five of these piled up in a grave that they've dug on the beach in the sand. Um, so it's, yeah, it's all very well thought out and the aesthetic of that is really successful. And, um, again, just traditional, like back to like zombies that we know, which is slow zombies, slow moving zombies that need to be shot in the head and piles of bodies being disposed of because it's spreading like wildfire. Yeah, so these are traditional zombies crossed with Romero zombies. So there's a voodoo element in there as well, which obviously harkens back to, like I mentioned on the last show, like White Zombie, I Walked With a Zombie, films like that, where you've got some voodoo priest or whatever sort of bringing people back to life. And then, yeah, it's the Romero zombie. It's like you got to shoot them in the head to kill them, stuff like that. Yeah. It bites people, turns other people into zombies those kind of things so yeah it's weird i think this is one of the only films i can think of that actually has that kind of combination of the two because normally it's one or the other or like for example in the next couple of films we're going to talk about it's one zombie in particular who happens to be who happens to be dead yeah yeah i mean have you got any of the moments that are favorites that we haven't discussed here yeah so you mentioned sort of the hands coming out the ground now that's actually probably one of my favorite bits of the entire film just Mm -hmm. because uh, it's slightly unrealistic in the sense that the idea is that um, the the main party they find like these gravesite of these conquistadors that apparently came to the island about four hundred years ago and assumingly have just been buried in the ground. So they're not in coffins or anything like that. And then they still come out the ground and they're still relatively well intact. You would have thought, and this has always bothered me, so this is not a new nitpick. Um, I, I always would have thought that, you know, if they had, 
you know, died 400 years ago, there would just be bones in the ground. There wouldn't be, like, any flesh and stuff. Yeah. Not to take anything away from the effect, because the zombie, you know, mm. those zombies in particular are so awesome. Yeah, they're amazing. So awesome. They're amazing, but you are right. It's probably not, um, you know, correct in terms of what it should be. Um, but that's, you know, we are nitpicking there. It is fucking amazing, that scene, so it needs to be kept. Um, another funny part besides the crab, which I absolutely <laughs> love, which is just a random part of like um. the location, uh, wildlife and scenery. Um, but there's one part where I think it's, he's called Brian and his ankle gets torn at by one of those zombies with the hand coming out of the ground, like mm. grabs his ankle and like there's like a hole in his ankle. And then they go back to the, uh, the doctor or the like sort of hospital area. And the doctor is like dabbing this huge gash in his ankle with a bit of cotton wool. I just found that hilarious because it's just so weak and feeble. It's like, what do you think that that is actually doing? I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> just did a little bit of a dab here and a dab there. That'll make you better. No, no. Definitely need to get some stitches on that. <laughs> I liked, and this is sort of something, you know, just personal to me that you've do, you know you've got sort of uh, molotov cocktails being thrown at zombies and oh, so yeah. they're all on fire it's yeah. absolutely hilarious it's sort of mo- like they throw like about six of them yeah at the zombies which is a great idea really apart Amazing. from when the building gets set on fire and they have to leave because one of the things yeah. and this is just a, a thing about zombie films in general because it seems to happen in all of them like if there was a zombie outbreak the worst thing you can do is hold yourself up somewhere where they can all just get in yeah <laughs> you know you'd want to in theory just stay on the run wouldn't you because yeah. especially in a film like this where they're really slow zombies yeah you can just keep moving exactly yeah. although that wouldn't be a very exciting film yeah probably, I yeah imagine. i mean yeah they do it for the suspense don't they probably the best death is still the um splinter splintered wood in the eye that's probably my favorite yeah, yeah. Most of the deaths in films like this tend to be zombies getting shot in the head or zombies biting each other. Or not each other, what am I talking about? Zombies biting sort of the people in the the characters and turning them into zombies and stuff like that. Um, the splinter in the eye is probably my favourite, just generally, just because it's sort of quite an iconic death. Yeah, I mean, you've got a few like grabs and bites at the jugular with blood gushing out, which are really effective. Um, but like I say, it's not just one. You've probably got like three or four of those. I'm not sure. Uh, hard to hard to count. Yeah. I mean, the thing I love about Fulci films generally, even in his Jallo films that he's done, is that the deaths are very vicious. There's a vicious... Vi- uh, I'm going to try and say that again. There's a viciousness to Fulci's deaths that doesn't exist in 99% of horror films. So <laughs> when people die, they die in like the most extreme ways possible. As such, and yeah, the deaths are like you know, so like fuck you, just immediate sort of you know, viscera stuff like that. Yeah, I mean it's it's very effective. Um, he's got quite a distinct style. You don't really see that anywhere else. And I did love the voodoo element of it. Um, I do quite like that coming into horror films, and especially with um the dead being living again. I think that is quite relevant and works very well. Um, so yeah, overall, really, really loved this film. Yeah, and the last thing I kind of wanted to say just on this film is I really like the music. So there's the iconic mm. sort of main theme, which has got like sort of the heart pumpy 
like that yeah. sort of sound going on in it. <laughs> I also like the random sort of calypso style music when they're sort of you know trying to get a boat onto the island and stuff like that. Yeah, that's that sort of quite random, quite cheesy. Not gonna lie. Yeah. Um, but Fritzy's worked with Fulci sort of quite a lot. Um, so there's this film, there's the Beyond, which has got a great soundtrack. City of the Living Dead, which has an amazing soundtrack. That's actually probably my favourite overall soundtrack that Fritzy's done for Fulci. Awesome. And yeah, the film just has this look, even in a film like this, and it's quite interesting because all the f- three films we're going to talk about, they're all set in different places. So I think this is supposed to be the Caribbean, Yeah. I guess. I and so. even on this like sun-drenched Caribbean island, you know, the way that they've made the island look with the crab, yeah. <laughs> just wandering around. Yeah. And just there's, there's like mini sandstorms going around and everything. So it just, yeah. it looks as if everything's fucked up. I also love the ending. The ending yeah. is amazing. The ending is amazing. I was going to say with regards to soundtrack and um, everything else that goes with it, you've got some really great zombie vocals as well in this film. Like it is quite believable. Sometimes that sort of foley, like the, the zombie noises can be a bit laughable, but <laughs> you can take it quite seriously in this film. I really do like it. And like you say, with the ending of the film, they've got an absolutely um, amazing choice of location. It's um, Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn Bridge in mm. New York City and loads of zombies walking across the bridge, like en masse with the traffic below. Very typical New York style, very busy. Um, yeah, and just a great shot at the end, which is a brilliant way to finish it. Um, absolutely loved it. And they think that they need to bring proof back to show people that this has really happened, but it's already extended to New York and God knows where else in the world. So you have this realization that it's bigger than they know. Um, which is fantastic. It ends in a in a really, you know, awesome, well-rounded way. Yeah, I mean, they do a similar thing in Zombie Creeping Flesh, but in this film, they actually do properly hint at it right at the start in, like, sort of the first 10 or 15 minutes. There's that scene in the uh, mortuary with the two pathologists, which is actually quite funny and cheesy and stuff, where you do kind of think, well, that zombie's going to come back to life. And then it's never really referred to again mm-hmm. until you get to the end, and it's like, oh, fuck, there's all these zombies everywhere. It's just yeah. amazing. I love the quote right at the end as well. Oh, uh, yeah. Which is, uh, I've just been informed that zombies have entered the building. They're at the door. They're coming in. Ah! Yeah, and it's like the, <laughs> it's the actual radio host getting attacked mid-show. They, they, they come course... in the building very, very quickly. It's like, oh, fuck. Oh, no, wait, I'm dead now. Yeah. <laughs> Literally Very just convenient for them to be tuning in at that exact time. <laughs> yeah. Now, this is, um, I mean, just one of the last things I want to say is that, you know, of all the Italian zombie films out there, I would say this is probably the best one because, I mean, we've covered... You know, Zombie Creeping Flesh, which was alright. It's kind of fun. Nightmare City by Umberto Lenzi, which is pretty good, I think. And there's also Burial Ground by Andrea Bianchi. But I think this one kind of stands out sort of as the best of the Italian zombie films post Dawn of the Dead, I think. Because it's really yeah. fun. And the plot, yeah. I mean, there isn't really a plot as such. And the characters are really thin, I'm not going to lie. But you don't mm. notice that because you're just having a lot of fun watching it. Yeah, and then the main focus as the zombies, you've got enough there to to be just engrossed in it. Um, and it doesn't matter about the rest of the plot, you know, you're just so focused on that. So yeah, amazing. Definitely is one of the best zombie horror movies, I would say. Is it a video nasty though? Um... I'm going to say yes. Ooh, okay, so why why yes? The eyeball scene. 
Um, and it is quite visceral. I think it's quite vicious. And I can imagine back then it would have been way more shocking. I still feel like it's a little shocking. Um, I could kind of be on the fence about this, but because of that eyeball scene, I'm going to say yes. Okay, well, you'll be surprised to hear I'm going to say no, because I always <laughs> say no when it's like matters of gore, because gore doesn't really shock me as yeah. such. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, I would say that scene is probably the nastiest scene in the film because it's quite protracted. It's yeah. pretty gory. If you're, you know, say you don't really tend to get sort of people having their eyeballs popped yeah. with a splinter I in mean, uh, it, it is these quite days. convincing and quite drawn out and you've got a lot of uh, bleeding jugulars and a lot, an awful lot of blood and um, maggots and things. So for me, I mean, you wouldn't have this just casually on TV at eight o'clock at night when the kiddies were out. So <laughs> definitely a nasty for me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I watched it at 11 o'clock this morning. So. <laughs> Fair dues. That's like, you know, perfectly reasonable Saturday morning behaviour. <laughs> so a great zombie film. Very, very fun film. It is available now on uh, DVD and Blu-ray from Arrow. So Arrow are the people to go if you want that one. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it comes highly recommended from both myself and Rhea. Yes. So the next film, directed by Lucio Fulci, is a lot closer to other films of his from this period. So Zombie Flesh Eaters, I would say, is pretty straight in terms of its plot. It's pretty much, you know, you've got to get everyone to an island, they're zombies, mm -hmm. and that's it. Um, the next two films we're going to talk about in particular are, well, it depends on your point of view, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. Some people, you might say, they're quite enigmatic and they're quite dreamlike in quality mm. other people would say they're incoherent and they don't make any fucking sense but mm. you know which side of the fence you come on is you know going to be up to you you're going to find out what side of the fence we fall on in a minute this is the beyond which yeah. is also known as the seven doors of death mm. which he made after zombie flesh eaters mm. and uh Rhea, i'll leave you to explain the uh well there is quite a basic plot i would say of the story mm. Yeah, I mean, it's a 1981 film, so like we say after the previous one we just discussed. Um, and the synopsis is a young woman inherits an old hotel, which is in Louisiana, following a series of supernatural accidents. And she learns that the building was built over one of the entrances to hell, there being seven, as you've um, discussed with the alternate title for the film. Yeah, now I really like this film. I like this film quite a lot. Now, when I first saw it, it was in a much lower quality version than the one I saw today for the show. And it was really dark and you couldn't really make out a lot of what's going on. But when you see it in a very high definition version that's been remastered and it's got a great score by, again, by Fabio Fritzi, um, this just is a very amazing looking film. Now, yeah. when you're talking Italian horror, obviously you've got Dario Argento and you've got Mario Bava. They're kind of your top two. Mm -hmm. And they're both kind of quite mainstream by Italian horror standards. So their films are quite clean and polished. Fulci, on the other hand, is not clean and polished. His films are very dirty and very gritty. And this is kind of, of the films we're going to talk about on the show today, this one is definitely the dirtiest in terms of the way it looks. Now, I think that's partially because of where the film is supposed to be set, which is New Orleans. Mm. Um, now, I know that you really liked the kind of flashback scene right at the beginning, didn't you? I mean, I really yeah. liked how it looked. It had the sepia look as well didn't yeah, it yeah i loved it it was almost verging on old hammer horror style with your traditional blonde scream queen in an old let's say haunted house but it's actually turns out to be the hotel 
Um, I really loved that. There's like a lot of lightning coming in through the window. So you see flashes of light on the face. There's an old book. There are all the components of a really traditional kind of, um, I mean, it's 1927, the flashback is, but yeah, an old 20s or 30s horror film. All of the components are there. It's in like black and white with or, or sepia colors, like a, a brown sepia kind of tone. And yeah, I really loved the setting in New Orleans. Um, it looks fantastic and it really does have this kind of feel of a haunted house movie, like right from the outset. Yeah, because that's one of the things I was going to say. So some of these films, it's very obvious what they are. Like Zombie Flesh Eaters is clearly a zombie movie, hence mm. the name. This one, what would you say it is? Because it's got various different elements. I would say it's a haunted house movie, but it is also kind of a zombie movie. Yeah. It's like the two combined, which is a fair thing to do, because if you're looking for something different to do within a horror film, he's already done a zombie film, why not combine it with a haunted house film, which is always a successful formula for a horror film, and it makes sense, you know, to put those elements into a haunted house film. Yeah, so I would say this film, in a weird sort of way, is a combination of the previous film that we talked about and the next film we're going to talk about put together. Mm. So you've got sort of your zombie outbreak at the end of the film where you've got sort of your zombies, you've got to shoot them in the head, but Mm. you also have your kind of your main zombie, which is like House by the Cemetery, where you've got Svike, who is so he looks very awesome by the way so the makeup for spike is sort of once he's sort of back in sort of the present day Mm. is like proper decayed and like you know bear in mind what happens to him in the flashback is just awesome yeah i mean it's again it's got that kind of um like um zombie flesh eaters it's got that kind of leather look to what whatever it is that's over their face that shows them to be really decayed um, it's got this kind of old leather kind of look. Um, and God knows how they do it, but it's very uh, prominent to his style, to Fulci's style, um, the makeup artist that he uses. And um, it is, you know, a common feature in these films, which in my opinion sets it apart from other ones. Yeah. Now this one, it's kind of like got a lot of who's who of like Italian sort of genre cinema sort of in the cast. So, um, Fulci in his what's called the Gates of Hell trilogy, he used Catriona McCall, um, who is the lead actress in this and House by the Cemetery and a City of the Living Dead, which mm-hmm. I think she is best in City of the Living Dead. I think in this film and in the next film she's kind of plays a bit of a weak character. Mm. She's one of these characters who like stuff happens to and no one believes her, which mm. is never good. Whereas in the ne- the other film it's like pretty good. You've got David Warbeck in this, quite like him. Um the, my favourite character though, and I don't know about you, is the blind girl, who's Emily, who yeah. is played by Sarah Keller, which is the American pseudonym of Shinzio Monreale, who's in Boyo Omega, which is a great film. Yeah, she's she was my favourite. Um, I especially liked her in the flashback at the beginning, um, but her entrance is um, really epic later on. She's got a companion. She's got a dog with her. Um, she's got Called the... Dicky. Yeah, Dicky the dog. <laughs> Made me laugh when she says that <laughs> later on. Um, yeah, they've gone with this whole kind of 
blind look at it, but it almost has that look of zombie eyes because you've got like the white contacts over the eyes, which gives like a, a you know, an, a white eyeball with no pupil or iris there. Um, in this film, because it is dated, obviously beginning of the eighties, you can tell that they're like contact lenses and it's not that effective, but it doesn't detract. Spoiling the magic. It doesn't detract from the movie. It's still fantastic. And she plays a part of this blind girl very excellently. And it kind of has that crossover of like feeling like it's kind of voodoo-esque with this um gate to hell like supernatural and it maybe that it's not blindness that she's crossed over into the living dead um because that's what a lot of zombies um are depicted as having um their eyes like so yeah i mean um i really did like this i feel like some of the gore and some of the um uh, like the hand nailing scene were quite harsh and <laughs> almost alike elements of something like Hellraiser in terms of like punishment and gore yeah, and the kind of dirty house really did feel like something like that, like Hellraiser. Um, so I really liked those elements of it. Um, I loved the old hotel. I loved the kind of accidental deaths that were happening because of, um, previous things that have happened at this house, which you then want to know about. And a lot of it was like, as they were trying to do up the house and change it, that these things then happened. Um, and yeah, I mean, you had this room 36 that kept coming up, which mm. was sort of repetitive and prominent, which, you know, didn't bring anything amazing to the plot, but it did just build up that suspense. Shining-esque. Um, yeah, very Shining-esque, yeah. And um, I think, like, the scenes at the house were better for me with, like, the waterlogged basement, um, but the hospital, the overrun hospital with zombies was quite cool for its day but now I think we've seen that so much in other films that for me the the house and the setting there was just very very cool I loved that like hospital scenes in zombie movies now are like 10 a penny so that didn't have as much impact but back then I think it would have been really cool because it's like two different locations and lots going on yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with all that. I prefer the scenes in the house as well because um, one of the things I would say about this, I'd say all the, of all the films we're going to talk about, this one has the most vicious deaths. We've got deaths by acid, which mm. is always like a pretty gruesome way to go as yeah. well. There's one woman who, in that sort of mortuary that you're talking about, mm. which looks pretty cool actually, it's got. Yeah all the walls are like completely white yeah. and there's these random beakers of acid everywhere. Um, she just falls on the floor off screen and then you see her lying on the floor with just this acid falling on her face and her face yeah. melting away, which is yeah. like pretty gruesome. Not going to lie. It is. Yeah. It's very well done. It's quite convincing. Her skin goes red and then all of the liquid coming off the face has like lots of blood and flesh in it. Um, which is really cool. And yeah, I mean, you see that kind of effect a few times throughout the film. It's, uh, I think like at the beginning of the film, um, the original guy Spike, after they've nailed his hands, <laughs> they either put, um, uh, acid on him or they, it's or like they like quick climb, I think. Yeah. That's what I thought it was. Yeah. And then I think it sets to be like concrete, doesn't it? And mm, he's like, then like he's within the wall, which obviously they discover later. But yeah, quick climb makes sense because it would burn the flesh. 
like we've seen in other horror movies, yes. such as Island of Death. Like, such as Island of Death, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great film. Uh, please see our previous episodes for more video nasties. Yes. Um, you've got people getting their eyeballs ripped out, which is yeah. uh, pretty gruesome. It's Joe the Plumber yeah. who uh, gets his eyeball ripped out. You've got a character getting her head pushed back really, really hard on a nail or spike or whatever yeah. sticking out of the wall. That was pretty vicious. Goes into the eye again, doesn't it? Got a dog attack, which at the time, it still kind of does, just reminds me of Suspiria. Yeah, yeah, that does remind me of Suspiria. Which is blacky. Yeah, Joe's death is really memorable, actually, with the eyeball gouging. That is very memorable. Yeah, and uh, I suppose, like, my favourite death, just because of how ridiculous it is, is the scene of uh, the character called Martin getting eaten by tarantulas. Just because, who thinks of that? That's such a fucked up thing to do. So, you know, you've got the gates of hell have opened. This is why I love Fulci so much, is that (laughs) most people, it's like the gates of hell have opened up. It's like, okay, what's going to happen? So all these different things happen. It's like, I know, I'm going to have a character just randomly get eaten by lots of tarantulas. Yeah, but the best thing about it is that some of them are real, but some of them are fake tarantulas. Yeah. And then at the end, one of them goes into his mouth and pierces his tongue and they try to eat his face, which is actually really creative. And like, but you can really tell the fake spiders apart from the real ones. But then having the real tarantulas crawling on his face anyway, and then that kind of mixture of the shots of him being bitten, it does start to get quite like sort of hard to watch because it does start to get quite convincing. So it's both kind of funny and like gory at the same time. It's like a juxtaposition between you've got these real tarantulas and you've got like, I don't know, they must have been like mechanized tarantulas or something like that as well that are with the tarantulas. Because I knew once they got on his face, obviously, I mean, if I was an actor, I probably wouldn't allow actual tarantulas on my face. Yeah. yeah, it's actually, you don't notice the fake ones because you're yeah. too busy looking at the real ones. You can tell yeah. they're real because their legs actually move how like an actual spider's leg would move, whereas the others, the fake ones are a bit stiff. Yeah, no, you can tell he's had to have the real ones on his face and I've done that myself as well, but made sure I had my eyes closed. I did it for a shoot. But then they've quite cleverly combined it with these shots of uh, the tarantulas walking on a glass table shot from underneath, mm. which is quite cool. Um, lots of different ways of doing that and then splicing it together and it does become quite convincing. Um, one of the other favourite parts of the film for me was um, when the bodies are in the body bags and they start to kind of come to life and one of the the like the hand pokes a finger through the bag and then starts to get out. I thought that was really cool. One of my favourites, uh, if we're talking about favourite moments, is the iconic scene on the bridge where you've got Emily and Dickie mm-hmm. um, just sort of stood in the middle of this bridge and there are no other cars on the bridge whatsoever. It's just this really, really, really long bridge. I have no idea where it is. I assume it's in America somewhere where you've got the main character who's uh, Lisa. Yeah. Um, like Lisa, yeah. yeah Lisa. Where she's um, driving her car and yeah, she's just stood in the middle of the bridge. Now, it's great. It's an awesome sort of set piece, but it kind of ties into something that I wanted to talk about in that a lot of detractors of Fulci say that he, he makes these films and they don't make any sense <laughs> at all. So this film, I would say possibly more than the next one, although that's up for debate. Yeah. A lot of it really doesn't make any sense, but yeah. does it? Well, I think that's why I preferred the first one that we've spoken about, because that makes absolute sense and it's a really great 
plot as well. It's very well rounded. This one plot wise isn't as good. I think it is dreamlike. I still think it makes sense. Um, I still really liked it. Not as much as zombie flesh eaters. And then the third one that we're going to discuss, I, I wasn't so keen on and that makes a lot less sense. So I think that says a lot about, um, what we need as a viewer for the film. Well, I've always argued this, and if you listen back to all our previous video nasty shows, which I recommend everyone does anyway, because they're all awesome, um, I've always argued that films don't necessarily have to make sense for them to work, because you've got sort of surreal films. Obviously, I love David Lynch, as do you. Mm. And his films, like Eraserhead in particular, like a lot of that doesn't make any sense. Mm. Like Lost Highway doesn't make any sense. Mulholland Drive, bits of that make no fucking sense whatsoever. But Mm. it it doesn't matter because it's about the way the film works as a whole. So this one, the bits to me that kind of don't work are the zombie bits at the end. And I know that because the producer of the film insisted that they kind of be tacked on because they wanted scenes of like lots of zombies sort of shuffling around. Yeah, they thought that would be popular probably. Yeah, because it was very, very popular at the time. And you've got sort of a lot of interesting stuff in there, like the character of Emily. So Emily clearly is dead, Mm. but then she does obviously get killed at some point in the film. So who kills her? Yeah. If she's dead already, yeah. that doesn't really make sense if she's a ghost. Yeah. You know, there's got a bit of a problem with continuation with the hospital and the bullet scenes as well, because he keeps running out of bullets. Then you don't see him get more bullets, but then he has bullets again and he's shooting them again, which was kind of annoying. Wow. That, that's more like a goof anyway. But I mean, yeah. for example, the last sort of five or 10 minutes in particular are incredibly surreal. And this is one of, uh, I mean, the Gates of Hell films, they all don't end in how am I trying to say this? There's no resolution right at the end. Mm. So they all kind of end on these very, very ambiguous notes. So this one in particular ends on an incredibly ambiguous note where essentially the two main characters, who are Lisa and David, Mm. who... No, not David. Lisa and John. Mm -hmm. I'm having a shit time today with names, aren't I? Fucking hell. (laughs) Um, So yeah, Lisa and John, what happens is they end up sort of in the hospital, they escape the hospital, they go downstairs and they end up in the basement of the hotel, which is not, you know, there. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's in a completely different bit of New Orleans or wherever this is supposed to be. Yeah. And then they end up in this sort of wasteland, which <laughs> yeah. awesome. It looks amazing. It just, looks fantastic. Which yeah. is in a painting, which this guy Spike kind of painted, I guess, at the start of the film in the flashback. And what, are they dead now? Is this whole thing a dream? Like, it's interesting kind of, I mean, what's your interpretation of it? Well, yeah, personally, I loved that ending. And like you say, with um, David Lynch-esque type elements, um, I don't feel like it needs to be explained. I quite liked it as being quite dreamlike. I like the connection with the painting that was... Um, shown throughout the film was shown bleeding sometimes when they touched the paintwork and things like that. I thought it was just cool and creepy. Aesthetically, it was amazing at the end. They go down there, they're kind of holding hands and walking through this wasteland. Their eyes go white with the contacts on, much like Emily. Um, they're then blind. They're probably, um, dead. They're probably stuck in the hotel or wherever. Um, and like the painting, there's lots of these naked, um, kind of chalky dead bodies lying around, which you can tell are like live people. It's not, um, done that, that well. Um, but it's still very effective. And then there's this quote at the end, um, and you will face the sea of darkness 
and all therein may be explored, which makes no sense. And <laughs> it's awesome, though. Yeah, but it's very cool. It's very dark. It's very creepy. I don't feel like it needs to make sense. I was satisfied. Um, I was satisfied because the rest of the film just had quite a lot of awesome content in it. Um, and you again, you've got these really old decayed zombies, which just look awesome. And, I mean... It's reflective. The end, you can take what you want from it. And I feel like you can do that in a film. Why not? Um, so not as good as the first film that we've discussed, but still really a great film. I did enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, the film to me is incredibly atmospheric, you know, just because of it's mostly sort of the basement of the hotel where you've got all this water everywhere. There's a lot of water in the film. Mm. There's a lot of liquids generally, be it sort of acid or you've yeah. got the dripping walls of the basement of the hotel. You've got sort of beakers of acid and stuff yeah. like that. Like you've got the great scene after, you know, the woman gets her face dissolved by acid where you've got this white red sort of liquid sort of moving across the floor I mm. thought that was really good because I liked that it was so cool yeah yeah because um, Fawlty he ain't one for like the whole primary colours stuff like Argento mm. and Barva so his films they all tend to look brown and mm. white yeah. it's kind of a mixture of those two colours that are quite prominent mm-hmm. I think in the cinematography I mean I say the, all these films have the same cinematographer so that might be why that is yeah. but yeah they just look hellish i guess is the best way to put it because if it's supposed to be a gateway to hell Mm. then you know is this literally sort of hell on earth and all this irrational stuff is going on like the spiders for example yeah yeah there's got a really cool scene where um someone's head gets blasted in and it's clearly a fake head i think it's with a gun Um, yeah that's the little girl so that's jill Oh, yeah, and um, it's, yeah, it's really ace because, I mean, they've put a wig on it the same as the little girls, so it's quite well done where when you see the difference between the false head and the real girl. Um, But the effects are awesome and it's quite gruesome the way that the head gets blasted in. Um, That was quite memorable for me. Okay, so um, do you think everyone is dead, basically, or is it a dream? What do you think is going on overall? Um, just that that hotel will continue to kind of pull people in and be haunted and be this like gateway to hell and we'll just pull more and more victims in. And I think much like the painter, they just kind of end up living on in the house as like the deceased, like Emily was. She was just kind of still there communicating with people, trying to tell them about what's happened and for me that that's what it is they're just the hotel itself the building much like Amityville Horror is taking victims it's a possessed entity in itself because of where it is and what's happened and more accidents will continue to happen and that's what's happened throughout the film so yeah they're a prisoner of the hotel in my mind what did you make? Like The Shining. Yeah. Very Again, like very, very similar idea to The Shining. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I would say I agree with a lot of that. I think the character of Emily is clearly someone who is a spirit who, for whatever reason, was maybe trapped in hell and has escaped and is trying to help people sort of not get caught in there, sort of trying to get them to leave the hotel and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But then this Spike character is too powerful and then kills her and turns all these other people into zombies. And then, yeah, it's just... I don't know. <laughs> I can't be honest. It's just... Yeah, as it, 
is incomprehensible in a lot of ways, but I still love the film anyway. It doesn't yeah. put me off. And I think people need to get over the whole films have to make sense thing because yeah. it's quite pedantic, in my opinion. Yeah, in my mind, it's a possessed house or something of the like. Yeah, it's a haunted house film. It's like you said, it's a yeah. combination of a zombie film, you've got a haunted house film. It's almost like a gothic horror film in a lot of ways, but it's mm. set, you know, it's firmly rooted in the period that it was made. Yeah, yeah. As well. And um, you've got like, not as high a death count as the last one we've discussed, but you've got 15 deaths, which is quite high. Again, you've got um, two deaths where a dog kills like a zombie and then Emily, her jugular gets ripped open by the dog because it gets um, zombified from eating the zombie spike guy and that's really cool. Um, so yeah, there are quite some quite creative and different elements about it. Quite a lot of gore, quite a high death count. Um, I did feel like some of the zombies, I feel like um, Michael Jackson's thriller um, video could have been inspired by this because it's like quite a, a similar look, except maybe more cartoonish with um, thriller. Like they've adapted that kind of aesthetic. Yeah. I did think it's quite similar. Yeah, possibly. I mean, we covered all the deaths pretty much already. The only death we haven't really covered that I thought was quite cool is where um, it's Al Cliver's character. He gets all this glass sort of blown in his face when the window gets blown. It's quite weird. But yeah, the deaths, as you said, all quite brutal. I agree. Yeah, that is a cool death. I did enjoy that as well. So, (laughs) So we've already got one yes and one no. How about the Beyond? Is the Beyond video nasty? Um, and I'm going to say no again while you're having a think. I'm going to say yes for <sighs> the, um, the nail pushing out the eyeball scene, which is quite gruesome. Yeah, that that's pretty vicious, I'm not going to lie. And then, yeah, some of the acid scenes are, and the quick climb <laughs> is quite brutal, but the the eye with the nail is quite is probably the most brutal bit. Um, there is a guy that gets um, his wrists, you know, nails go yeah, through the wrists. Yeah, spike, yeah. Which is at the beginning, which is quite brutal. But the, the nail through the eye, poking it through the head is like video nasty uh, material for me. So I'm going to say yes. Okay. Not for the tarantulas. <laughs> Definitely not. They were, they were, I mean, they look quite friendly, you know. <laughs> friendly tarantulas. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. I love the film. Rhea sounds slightly less keen on it than me, but you still quite like it? I like it. I think definitely worth a solid watch. Definitely a staple for horror fans. Definitely up there with some of his best work, although not as good as Zombie Flesh Eaters. And yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, not, not a waste of time to watch it whatsoever. There's plenty in there to see. Yes. And uh, if you do want to watch it, like the previous one we talked about, it's available from Arrow on DVD and Blu-ray. So, uh, yeah, Arrow, the people to go, clearly, for uh, your Lucio Fulci needs. Um, this one, I would say, is probably one of my favourite Fulci films, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I slightly prefer this to Zombie Flesh Eaters, but I actually really like Zombie Flesh Eaters as well. I love Zombie Flesh Eaters, so that's my favourite. <laughs> okay. So, can you believe it? Our 72nd video nasty. Woo, we that made we talked it. About. So this is the very last video nasty we're going to discuss in depth. Hell is yeah. also by Lucio Fulci. It's The House by the Cemetery, mm-hmm. also known as The House Outside the Cemetery. So, this was actually made the same year as The Beyond. 
So mm-hmm. if you can believe that he made both these films in the same year, mm. if you can believe that, using mostly the same people, mostly the same kind of behind-the-scenes crew, same writers, etc. And it does share, obviously, very, very similar themes in a lot of ways. However, yeah. I get the feeling you weren't as infused about by this one as mm, the previous films that no. we talked about. I mean, he's clearly on a roll. He was doing quite well with making lots of films, especially two in a year. But I feel like this is a little weak with the plot. Um, I think there's a really good um, corpse-like um, zombie at the end or like your typical, like the focus of the film, like the bad guy of the film. I think that's really cool. It's quite a good reveal at the end. I think the setting, like the big house again is like um, haunted house style but I just didn't warm to this film as much as the first two. And I thought, I think it's because it's weak with the plot and the characters. Um, anyway, I'll give you the synopsis. So it's a 1981 film, like we say, same as The Beyond. And just briefly, I mean, it's really basic plot. A New England home is terrorised by a series of murders, unbeknownst to the guests that a gruesome secret is hiding in the basement. So effectively, this family moves into this house um, and they find out that there's like a burial ground. Not only is there a cemetery next to the house, which is quite creepy, but somebody has been buried in the basement and it's part of this family, which is a doctor who performed medical experiments that were immoral. Um, So yeah, just a bit more background there. Yeah, so this film and the last film are kind of two examples of why you shouldn't go poking around in the basements of old houses. Well, the big clue in this film was that it was actually boarded up. I mean, you know it's trouble if something is boarded up and the key doesn't really work. It's like almost like the door's been cemented shut. You would think that would be a clear warning sign. Yeah, yeah, and the house is sort of quite old anyway. So again, this is another Fulci film with an old house. This one's not quite as cool as the hotel and the beyond, but it's still sort of quite cobwebby, quite dank. Yeah, and I do feel like perhaps um, The Shining might have been slightly influenced by this film and the previous one with the kind of house being possessed, with something being there that they don't know about. And for me, the little boy in this, Bob, the blonde kid, um, I thought he was quite a great feature in this film, like quite a good child actor. Um, And I felt like he reminded me of the kid in The Shining, um, the little boy. Yeah, although I've got to be honest, like the dub of Bob, poor boy, he's uh, been given like a really horrendous dub. Oh my God, mummy, I sound like this for the whole film, mummy. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit like that. Yeah, a little bit on on the uh, kind of brink of being irritating at points. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't horrible for the whole film. There were bits of it where it's fine, but particularly like near the end where he's kind of trapped and he's trying to get his mum to knock down the door, I did sort of think, right, yeah, he can shut up now. I get the idea. Yeah. It's like, yeah, his voice, poor you know, poor child with his dubbed voice, like, did get a bit on my nerves after a while. Yeah, I mean, for me, the ending was quite disappointing. I think that's part of the thing that makes a film, you know, better or worse. And um, you've got two settings in this. They move from New York to New Whitby in Boston, which is where the haunted house is. And you've got this relationship between the, the young blonde boy, Bob, 
and uh, May, the girl who seems to be from the past of, of like, she seems to be, she's like based in uh, New Whitby in Boston and she knows about the house and the previous family. Um, but the mother and father of Bob can't see May, the little girl, and he has been warned by her. So it's kind of a little bit cliche. Like, I feel like this has been done so many times in horror films. So I think that's part of why I wasn't so keen on it. Um, also, um, I think like with, like I said, the, the ending being quite disappointing. Um, that's why I didn't warm to this film as much, but I mean, it's not bad. Um, I did like the practical effects again. That is one of the standout points of Lucio Fulci's films and also the music yeah so the music is not actually done by fabio fritzi this time it's done by walter rosati and uh yeah it's really really good really really strong especially like the theme like over the opening credits Mm. which is really really good um i was probably going to talk about it at the end but as you brought up might as well this Mm. is another film where it doesn't resolve itself at the end Mm. which does kind of make you think well is the whole film a dream Again, is it from Bob's point of view? Is Bob sort of, is he dead? And this is all sort of in his imagination kind of thing. Mm. Or, <laughs> yeah, is all this just a game between Bob and May? Like, it's yeah. just, it's very weird. Because there's a lot of stuff in this film. Like, The Beyond, I can kind of excuse sort of some of the more outre, shall we say, sort of plot elements. Because mm. the whole film has this kind of nightmarish feel. But this one... Mm. Because of the setting, it does feel a bit more grounded yeah. in reality. And there are things in this that, I mean, I made lots of notes just to make sure I was sort of following along. And that, yeah. you know, is it just me or is it the film? And there are things in this film that simply just do not make any sense and do not resolve themselves. Yeah. Particularly the character of Anne, who's played by Annie Perioni, mm. who was in uh, Dario Argento's two video nasties as well. She's a very beautiful woman. She's got very beautiful eyes, which Fulci does seem to like sort of focusing in on quite a lot in this film so this is the babysitter yes um and she's got yeah she's got lovely green eyes and she's brunette and she's quite an odd character in this film so it doesn't necessarily need to be explained but i think when she first gets introduced i did think that she's kind of in on what's going on in the house Mm. and that she's kind of there to aid the house or perhaps she's already dead and she's back from the dead. But like you say about it being unresolved, much like the beyond, I feel like, again, this is another way that they've rounded it up is that the house is possessed and it's claiming people. And at the end, everyone's died except Bob, but he then becomes part of this family and part of the house. He's like accepted by the house, Mm. Um, but everyone else has been claimed. And it's almost like the house just collects more lives because it's a cursed house. and it's a circular yeah, and it just keeps said. going. And then from what the estate agents hint throughout the film, this has happened before. Nobody wants to live there. Everybody says that this ends in disaster. Even the estate agent gets bumped off. Um, <laughs> she's not learned anything clearly. No. And it's supposed to be uh, left abandoned and, um, you know, empty because they have too many problems. But obviously they let somebody stay there because they're persuaded or because they want the money. So so for me, it's like a really common theme and it was used in the beyond. Um, and it doesn't necessarily need to be explained, but I did feel it was just a little corny at the end and a bit cliche, um, probably because it's through the eyes of the child. Yeah. I'm not sure. They also mentioned that Norman, who's the dad, 
as like a couple of characters mentioned like well you were here a few months ago and he sheepishly denies it mm. so which is like weird because they never then bring it up again for the rest of the film so either he has legitimately been there before or maybe it's like you say it's circular and that he's been there before but he doesn't remember it because maybe he's been there in a past life or something like that yeah maybe. or it could have been know. the previous victim maybe they were he was just like him and he says well no because i don't have a dog and i've got a son not a daughter yeah so i think it was somebody before him and this house is just claiming more lives another thing that i've noticed with the fulci films that we've discussed in this episode is that it starts again with a common theme which is a topless woman <laughs> in this film and there are two characters in this house like teenagers who get killed straight off the bat and then it's not explained, they bear no relevance to the plot, and it's really just for effects. So you have got that, which has happened before in very uh, like-minded films or in Fulci's other film, where you just got an excuse to have a topless woman to open the film with. Well, she is very pretty, and uh, it's quite interesting. So that actress is Daniela Doria who appears in four of Fulci's films from about this period. Mm-hmm. And her she's never in the films for very long, but she always dies in these very, very over-the-top kind of ways. So yeah. I don't know if Fulci like, didn't like her in real life and kind of was like, well, she's pretty and we've got to put her <laughs> in my film, but I'm going to have her killed in the most violent way possible. So in this film, <laughs> she gets a knife literally right through the back of her head coming out of her mouth, which is yeah. very vicious, incredibly vicious. It is. I think that is just quite a good way to open the film. Pretty girl, most vicious death so possibly not because he didn't like her but just because he knew that the viewing ratings may go up for that Um, Uh, and I haven't seen the black cat for a very long time but in the New York (laughs) Ripper and City of the Living Dead her character has the most vicious death in both of those films yeah as well in fact she probably does get the most vicious death in the black cat actually because it happens right at the start of the film again so yeah yeah, it always seems to be her who seems to be killed in these very very violent ways so uh, yeah (laughs) very vicious death I love the deaths in this film just generally again they're incredibly vicious yeah I particularly loved the fake bat that attacks him (laughs) that he kills with the scissors much to the little boy's amazement who watches this whole thing where there's blood everywhere um, that made me laugh and also kind of recoil in horror because there is a lot of blood. Yeah, it goes on for quite a while, doesn't it? Yeah, and no, that's one of my favourite parts because, again, like Fulci did with the spiders and everything, it's just kind of so odd and misplaced, but it also makes sense to be in there. He seems to have this knack for doing that. Yeah, and like, how did that bat survive being locked <laughs> away in this sort of basement for so long? <laughs> Have you got a favourite death? I would say that my favourite death is probably the one of Annie Perioni's character. So that would be Lord, uh, Anne. Sorry, that would be Anne, mm-hmm. who basically... So it's weird. So with her character, just generally, there's all these weird stuff that doesn't get explained. So at the start of the film, there's these mannequins, mm. which look like... There's one that looks like her, and there's yeah. one that looks like May, mm-hmm. and the mannequin head of Anne sort of falls off, which, again, is sort of what happens later on. So her head falls off, and then the head falls down the stairs, Yeah, which is a pretty cool visual. It's a really Not cool shot. The expression on the face when it's at the bottom of the stairs, the decapitated head is just awesome, and there's like a shot of a close-up of that, which is really cool. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's probably my favourite. I also did like the death of the estate agent, who is Laura Gittleson. Yeah. It's played by Dagmar Lassender, who's actually, again, one of these actresses from sort of Italian exploitation. It's quite sort of popular back in the day. And yeah, she gets stabbed with a poker over and over and over again by our lead sort of zombie. So there's only one zombie in this film. Mm. He's a Dr. Freudstein, which is a great name. Yeah, it's, it's like of- a combination of Frankenstein and Freud, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And he, again, like similar to strike in the last film he looks awesome he mm. just looks totally decrepit yeah really yeah. leathery face once again and like you know just just like the most decayed corpse you've ever seen in your life it is absolutely brilliant yeah and um again i mean it's quite interesting because uh the actor who plays dr freudstein is joe the plumber from the beyond who <laughs> for most of that film is a zombie so sort of playing sort of a very very similar character in this and yeah, yeah. just very very scary and i like the house as i said i like the stained glass windows in the mm. house i think that's quite an interesting sort of touch yeah that was a really nice shot very um, beautifully done and Again, I really, really love the house. It is an amazing setting and does make this film what it is. Unfortunately, I do wish that the plot had been a bit stronger, but the location is amazing. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that because Fulci likes that area of the country because City of the Living Dead is also set in sort of New England. It's set around Salem. Mm. So he obviously had quite an affinity to that part of the country. I don't blame him. It's perfect for a horror movie. Yeah, although like Zombie Flesh Eaters and indeed New York Ripper, it's a bit of it. Bits of it are set in New York. Yeah, as well. Another yeah. Italian exploitation film with bits sort of filmed in New York, which is yeah. actually quite funny. Yeah, it seems to be a common theme here, and it is a cool location, and you know, also a good way to get people interested in the film. Everybody always likes to see New York in a in a film, I guess. Yeah. So again, it's this is a sort of a weird haunted house movie where it's not ghosts. Mm. as such it's sort of like a monster and the house itself yeah so yeah haunted house movie monster movie uh zombie movie um again they had a bit of a continuation issue with the hands because towards the end you think it's freudstein killing everybody because he's like the entity in the house and he's buried in the basement but occasionally you see a really decaying decrepit hands doing things that involve <laughs> killing people and then sometimes it reverts to a really feminine looking young looking hand that isn't decayed <laughs> and uh, it makes no sense in that way or maybe they were just expecting you not to notice and they just hadn't bothered to do the prosthetics for that particular part but yeah I do feel like that kind of confuses matters and you wonder who it is that's killing everybody at the end and it's confused by that whereas really it should be Freudstein and his decaying hand (laughs) yeah so I mean I like this film I don't like it as much as the previous two films that we've discussed but I Mm. like it really doesn't make a lot of sense it's sort of again another thing i would say is unlike the previous two films it's kind of slow Mm. for some of it as well where not really a lot happens as such so uh, but it does have a lot of atmosphere it does have really great deaths it's sort of got a bit of a weird plot and bits of it don't make any sense as such Mm. yeah wasn't so keen on this. I did like, so like in the Beyond, I uh, forgot to mention that you've got this kind of whispering 
um, the lead characters' names were being whispered a lot, which was quite creepy, which was a really good effect. And in this film, you've got like the noise of the little boy crying, um, like yeah. it's in distress, which I thought was quite cool because it's always this kind of lure, like you hear the little boy crying or a child crying and people go to see what the matter is and then they get locked in this basement and then they get killed and there's like this pile of bodies at the end. Um I was least keen on this film. I didn't think it was really that worth a watch. I felt like it was a little tame compared to the others and like a little weak with the plot and the ending just wasn't that fulfilling for me. Um, but I mean, still better than a lot of horror films that I've ever seen. Um, really loved the creepy organ music at the end. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Um, but overall, the ending was a little corny and predictable. Um, but still has this kind of 80s horror charm to it and that kind of fantastic haunted house setting, which we, we loved. So, yeah, I mean, not bad overall. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Fulci is definitely an auteur. Like, he definitely has, like, his style and this definitely fits his oh yeah overall style particularly from this period as i said mm-hmm. um this one <laughs> we've got two yeses from you and two noes from me yeah um is this one a video nasty the last video nasty i'm gonna say no okay yeah you again you'll be surprised to hear that i'm also gonna say no <laughs> it's quite in. tame this one compared to the other two especially. well tame in relative terms Rhea. come on now to so, us yeah yeah to us it's probably tame but i think to most people particularly in the first two minutes i'll probably get scared away sort of by someone getting a knife very violently sort of shoved mm. through the back of their head there is that, but, yeah, but it's nothing. If you're not a, a if you're a horror stuff. fan like us, it's nothing that you've not seen before. Let's just say that. No, although yeah. deaths these days are nowhere near as violent in these films. I got to say, I think I don't know. Fulci goes to places that for some reason people don't seem to want to go to now. Yeah. in terms of death, it's a lot of bodily change sort of deaths as well, where people's bodies are being fucked up. Yeah, as yeah, as well, which is quite cool. Yeah. So, uh, again, guess who released this film on DVD and Blu-ray? Was it Arrow? You, you are correct, <laughs> yes. So Arrow have, in fact, released this. It's, um, yeah, again, DVD and Blu-ray yeah. from Arrow. And I own all three of these films on DVD. They're in my collection right now. They're in my bedroom right now as we speak. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I own them because I, I like them. I, I also like sort of House by the Cemetery because I like the trilogy mm-hmm. as well. So this is what I was kind of kind of end the show on sort of is, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you liked the films that you saw. I get that yeah, you didn't like fantastic. House by the Cemetery that much. He's a fantastic but. director. I really do. From watching three of his films in a row, I really do get an idea of what his style is like. And it has shaped a lot of horror films, which have, and it's been very significant. So I think, you know, what bigger claim is there than that? It's obviously influenced a lot of people, like I've mentioned a few times throughout the show, of other things that came much later that I feel look similar to it, which could have only come from watching these, probably. Yeah, so as I mentioned at the start of the show, I mean, Fulci is a very versatile director. He did direct in sort of various different genres. So he made mm-hmm. westerns that are quite good, for example, and he made sex comedies mm-hmm. at the start of his career, which is very weird. <laughs> um, he made sort of, yeah, other types of films like his his Jally, as I mentioned earlier. But yeah, from this period, what I would recommend to you, and to our listeners, of course, is uh, I mentioned it a few times, City of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. So if you like your zombie films, this one's a particularly violent sort of zombie film. Very, very good. It's actually probably one of my favourite Fulci films overall. It comes very, very highly recommended. The Black Cat is okay, 
Manhattan Baby is okay, not great, bit of a weird sort of mummy film from this period. And there's, of course, New York Ripper, which is one of the sleaziest jelly of all time. Would have been a video nasty if the BBFC hadn't just flat out banned it altogether before they even gave it a certificate. They basically just said, no, don't want this. And they had it sort of taken out of the country. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, they do, we didn't like it. Um, as far That'd as, be j- good. yeah, um, that's a Jallo. Um, Jally, if you want to watch a faulty Jallo, I would say Don't Torture a Duckling is his best, but I also recommend The Psychic, which is really good, and A Lizard in a Woman's Skin. Um, faulty wise, don't watch anything after. To 1982 because most of his films are absolute shit from that period because <laughs> of the Italian film industry and he had no budget although some people apparently <laughs> like a film that he did called A Cat in the Brain which is a mm. really really gory film it's kind of meta Fulci's in it himself oh I've heard about that and I do want to see that as well so yeah it's it's ridiculously gory mm, so good. <laughs> that is our Lucio Fulci video nasty special and Ria can you believe it we've done it mate We've done it. We've 72. actually watched all 72, 72 video nasties. Can you fucking believe it? We've actually it's made us it. just over a year and we've yes. done it. Wow. I would give you a high five, but this is a podcast and people won't see. So. Yeah. Yeah. So imagine. That yeah. Imagine giving us a high five. So guys, we finished the video nasties. So I really, really want to celebrate at this point and we sort of will do. And I'm going to come on to that in a minute, but hope you've enjoyed the show first of all and usual plugs so this is the lament configuration horror podcast i am greg knox and she is reoffend and you can find us on facebook under the lament configuration podcast on youtube under the same name look for some exclusive youtube content coming very soon you can find us on itunes on podbean on TuneIn radio and on stitcher I have been resident body count girl reoffend, and at the moment I'm absolutely crushing seventy thousand followers on Facebook, which is means it has doubled over the space of a year, which is fantastic. Thank you for joining me on there, and please do keep on doing so. Um, I am reoffend. That's F E N D on my Facebook public modelling, acting, and anything else that I decide to do apart from that page i'm also on instagram and twitter as ria underscore fend and please 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 um give us five stars on itunes that would make us very very happy and we will have some more material after we've concluded what we think of the video nasties we'll be introducing some new Uh, material for the show it'll all be horror film based and let's see what happens with that and how you like it yes that's coming very soon so yeah so we finished the video nasty we reviewed all 72 but in celebration what we're going to do on the next show is because i love lists everyone loves a list don't they (laughs) um I've seen other kind of people who've reviewed the video nasties have done this, and I think it's a really cool idea. And let's face it, I'm just a massive gimp, and I just want an excuse to watch most of these films again. So we're going to do our top 72 video nasties. So these are the video nasties from best to worst, which yeah. uh, I've already started. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Let's put it that way. It's just another excuse to watch films. And yeah. there will be some other kind of related video nasty stuff in there as well. 
yeah, so we'll try and zip through that and then probably focus on the very wow. worst and the very best at the same time. Yes. So yeah, so this is kind of like your TLDR version of our Video Nasty series. So if you've not listened to any of the other shows, you don't really want to listen to hours of us prattling on sort of talking about Video Nasties. This is kind of just tells you kind of which ones we liked and which ones we didn't like. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's going to be short and sweet, succinct, and yeah, we'll just cover as much of it as we possibly can in one show. Absolutely. And... Because it's a Lucio Fulci show, I'm going to leave you with... It's taken from House by the Cemetery. The song is called I Remember. It's by Walter Rosati. And uh, I wish you a very, very good day. Hope you're having an awesome time. Thank you, all 72 Video Nasties. Officially fucking 